Right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Nathaniel, and I am the missional communities guy here at Storehouse. And uh, I am very excited about this morning uh, because we are continuing our discipleship series, and we're going to be talking about family discipleship today. And this has special meaning to me because I became a uh, new father this year, and so that's exciting. Oh, thank you. Stop it. Um, <laughs> And so I've got uh, three little foster kids, um, and they have been a blessing and a challenge and everything else in between. Um, and so today means a lot to me uh, to be able to, to dive into the Word and, and see what God talks about when He's talking about discipleship within the family. Um, before, before we get into... Um, really everything. I want to take a moment and uh, say thank you to everyone who has been a faithful part of Storehouse over this past crazy year and coming into 2021. It has been, I, I know, difficult in many ways and has been insane, and yet the family that we have here as a church has seen amazing growth and encouragement and edification I have personally been so encouraged by the relationships that my family has with all of you and the support that y'all have shown. And I know that so many families here have also experienced that. And so as we talk about family discipleship today, I just want to just be grateful for the family that we have here together. And so thank you everyone who is a part of this family and everything that you have done over the past year especially, but in the life of this church. And so today we are continuing the discipleship series as we enter into a new year. This is, this is important. Discipleship is vital. And so we're talking about family discipleship today, but this message is not just for parents, okay? This, this message is for everybody. Y'all might be familiar with the phrase, it takes a village, right? It takes a village to raise kids. And, and it's true. Um, and yes, parents are a major part of this, right? They're, they're major players in discipling children. And yet, as Christians, we should all desire fervently, we should desire that the next generation knows Jesus Christ. This is not something that's just the purview of parents because we are all invested in this because we want as many people as possible to know Jesus because it's the best thing that can happen, right? Especially our children and the children that we come across and interact with and are able to invest in. This is such an important thing so that the next generation does not forget who Jesus is. And yet we see in Scripture, and we'll talk about it today, that it is so easy for that to happen. And it can happen quickly. And so we must be invested in family discipleship, and we all play a role. As Marco has talked about over the past couple of weeks with discipleship, it is the, it is the everyday actions, it is the everyday rhythms, it is the things that we do consistently and normally. Those are the things that create discipleship. Those are the things that bring people in relationship and point people toward Jesus or toward something else. Because we're always influencing people, and we're always influencing children. I mean, how many know that, uh, especially if you're a parent, like when you're just walking through HEB, and you got your kids with you, and somebody that you just pass 
they, they say a curse word or something, and all of a sudden your kid's going to repeat that for the next, like, day, right? <laughs> you guys know that children pick things up all around them. And so you may not be personally, you know, interacting with a kid at all times, but kids are watching you. They hear you. They see the way that you act and the way that you work. And, and it's, it's important for us to be aware of this because you are always discipling a child. You just may not know it. And it may not be that one-on-one -on -one interaction. And so we have to ask the question, who are we discipling for? And where are we pushing these kids toward? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Something else entirely. And that's really our main idea today, is that family discipleship is the outpouring of who you serve and what you love. I'll say it again, family discipleship is the outpouring of who you serve and what you love. Is the answer to that Jesus? And so we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6. So you can open your Bibles or, or load them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. And this is... Uh, a little background, this is Moses toward the end of his life, and he is kind of passing the torch, right? Passing the baton onto the next generation, and he's kind of leaving a few things. And he's saying, of most importance, you must remember God, and you must remember that you serve him fully. And he goes into discipling the children of Israel. And it's interesting how he starts this. He starts with, O Israel, hear. Hear, O Israel, all of Israel, right? This is not just, hear, O parents of Israel. Hear, Israel, this is important. This is something you have to do if you want to fulfill your purpose as God's chosen people. That's what he's saying in this passage. And so as we read this, think of it in that light where where Moses is about to die, and he's saying this, you have to remember this. If you want to be God's chosen people, if you want to serve him, this is important. This is it, okay? And so we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to just invest in children. The next generation is our responsibility to disciple and to point toward you. You have made it so by commanding the church to be involved in this process. We are so grateful that we can even be a part of your salvific purpose. And we recognize the heavy responsibility that we have to care and to love for the children in this world. Allow today to be a time where we 
are convicted, but also encouraged and excited to see all that you do through children and the part that we play in that. Holy Spirit, I ask that you put me aside and and speak through this text so that we can all embrace the message that you have for every single one of us today. In your holy name, amen. And so I'm going to go through a few questions today as we kind of go, you know how I like to do it, right? I like to ask questions and kind of tackle it that makes sense to me. And so first up is why family discipleship matters. Why does it matter? Family discipleship matters because culture matters. Now, culture is all around us, and it's part of everything that we do. Culture, uh, simply put, is the patterns of uh, learned behaviors and practices and language and all these things that a group of people do collectively, that we have basically decided consciously or unconsciously that we're going to behave in this certain way. Uh, The best example for us is the valley. The valley has a very unique culture that is nowhere else, right? Now, you guys know this. I mean, we have such a uh, smash of American and Mexican culture and a little bit sprinkled in from pretty much everywhere else in the whole world, right? And then over the years, it has kind of developed into this unique culture. I mean, I can guarantee that where I was raised in Midwest Indiana is not like it is here. (laughs) Not at all. So different. And yet... Uh, that informs how we, how we act. I mean, I can think of before I moved here, the way that I thought about the world, interacted with the world, our practices, our customs, like the way our family even did things was different than it is now after we've lived here for five, six years. I mean, one, one big difference is that Nicole and I often use like Spanish words in just regular daily life. I knew zero Spanish before I moved here, and yet now it's a part of our life. Like, there, there's unique things about our culture here, but everywhere has culture, okay? And there's different layers of culture even. Like, we've got valley culture, right? But then there's also the culture of, you know, Central McAllen and Edinburgh, Harlingen, Brownsville, Laredo, right? Like, there's different cultures as you go to these different places. And then you could even break it down more. Like, you go to a community, different neighborhood. There's a different culture there than there is four streets over, right? Culture, it informs the way that we view the world around us on so many different levels. Every single one of our families also has a unique and individual culture. The way that my family does things every day is going to be different than the way your family does things. And that's, that's beautiful. That, that's awesome. Like, we should have that, and we should celebrate these differences. It, it's the, the culture in our families, the, the rhythms of everyday life. They're the things uh, that will inform the way our children speak and the way they interact with their friends as they grow up. It's going to inform their practices, their everyday practices. And, and this could be anything as serious as our faith in God, or it can be something silly like, how much I love coffee. And so my two boys every morning want to run up and say, smell it, please. Can I smell it? I don't think they even like the smell of coffee, but it's what I do every day. It is part of our family culture 
that I drink coffee in the morning and my kids want to smell it. <laughs> Silly, right? And yet that is very much ingrained in our daily routine and our normal schedule and just the way my kids think of what the morning looks like. Culture matters. And so really the question we want to ask ourselves as believers is what, what is your family culture? What are the things that are defining your family? What are the things that in 20, 30 years your children will remember about your family? These things happen within the culture that we develop every single day. Moses here in Deuteronomy, he speaks to this. And he says that we must have two things. If you are going to follow God, you must have two things that are foundational to your culture. And so all of our cultures are going to be different in our families, right? And yet we see here clearly that there are two foundational things that will unite all of us as a family of God. First up, that there is only one God. Eric talked about this amazingly this morning. He spoke into this better than I could. But this, this is us saying there's no idols in our life. There's nothing outside of God. He is the primary. No room for anything else. I mean, you guys know that when you have competing cultures, there's going to be either a winner or there's going to be a new culture that's formed. Once again, the valley is that. American culture, Mexican culture, meeting in the middle. What happens? Brand new culture. Well, if you've got a culture of God and you have a culture of any other idol coming together, what are you getting? A new culture that's still worshiping an idol, not God. God does not share the throne with anything. And so does your family culture preach that there is one God that this house is devoted to? Or is it football? Is that the most important thing? Is it even hosting? That's the most important thing. Being clean, whatever it may be. What idol is pushing God out of the conversation in your home? We must singularly be focused on God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And second, we must love God with all of our being, with everything we have. Everything must begin and end with God. It's our primary motivation. It is the thing that drives us. Our love for him is, is what we desire to uh, incorporate in our everyday. And that's going to be reflected in our actions. See, this is something that I have been convicted about uh, as I was preparing for this sermon was how do my actions in the everyday reflect my love for God toward my children, right? What are they pulling from this? And I honestly was able to say, I feel like at least lately, the thing that they're going to take away most is that I get frustrated. That is not the message I want to send to my kids. We all are going to get frustrated, right? I mean, parents, 
right? Like we know we're going to get frustrated. But is that the primary thing that we are putting into our kids? Or are we acting in all of our actions, even in our frustration, are we acting through the love that we have for God? Because that will change the way you react in frustration. See, culture, it influences and it guides us toward how we think, how we act, how we speak, all this world, and everything in the world, right? How we interact with the world, and it's going to speak into how we interact with our kids. The culture that we establish within our homes is going to determine how I act in frustration. Am I going to act in frustration and lash out? Is that the norm? Or am I going to act in frustration by taking a moment and being able to collect myself so that I may extend love and grace? How's it going to look? What culture have I established in my home? We have to make sure that we are intentionally creating a culture that points our children toward Jesus in every interaction, whether it's explicitly stated or not. And so what do we teach, right? In family discipleship, what are we teaching then? We have to teach these things exactly. We have to teach a love for God and a devotion to him. In family discipleship, we have to teach our kids that we love God. They should know this. We have to then model how that looks. We must be devoted to him fully so that when they look at our lives, they can say, that's what it looks like to love God. If our kids can't say that, then what are we doing? What's the whole point? We have to model a life that is going to point them toward Jesus. His word and his work, God's word, the Bible, and the work that he does in our lives, the grace that he has poured upon us, the fact that he saved us from our sin, transformed us, body, mind, soul, spirit, so that we can know him fully and that we can actually act in a holy and righteous manner. These works that God does within us must pour out onto our children like a cup that is being overflowed with, with the grace of God and it must pour into our home so that it is saturated in God's love. For this to happen, though, there's a few things that are required. The first requirement is that, well, you actually love God. that you actually have committed your life to him, that you have confessed, I am a sinner. I need Jesus to save me. I actually know and have a relationship with God, or do you just know about him? To do, to do this for our kids, we have to first actually love God ourselves. And it requires you to then live in obedience to God, which requires a few things in itself. You have to know your Bible. You can't obey what you don't know. So you have to actually know what God wants of us. He wants us to act in a way that is holy and righteous so that we may glorify him. 
very simple concept, yet very hard to do. And yet that's the beauty of it, is that God, through the Holy Spirit, he gives us the ability to live in righteousness. He gives me the ability that even though I may be so frustrated at the end of a day, work was terrible, the kids are acting up completely, and I just want to snap, and I am just done with it. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to act righteously, to show our kids love and grace in the midst of discipline and correction. This is possible through the Holy Spirit. We do not have to be slaves to our emotions as parents or as aunts and uncles, as those who interact with kids, as family, friends, whatever your relationship is. You can act in a way that's going to honor God all the time, regardless of what circumstance may dictate. That's something that the rest of the world doesn't have. And yet, we don't use it. We don't allow the Holy Spirit to do this within us. We must live in obedience to God, and we must allow the Holy Spirit to do a work within us every day, every interaction, every conversation with our children. And lastly, it requires our actions to line up with what we're saying. This is similar to the obedience, but this is intentionally thinking of how our actions look to our kids. I mean, this could be something as basic, right? And, and I'm just using this example. Something as basic as, man, children, you have to eat your broccoli because it's healthy for you, right? This is good for you. You're taking care of your body. We're making sure you can grow and be healthy. And this is good because we, we want to honor God by being healthy and, and living healthy. And then you don't eat your vegetables yourself. I mean, I've been guilty of this, Right? I do the whole spiel for my kid, and then I just grab like three slices of pizza, right? (laughs) But our actions are not lining up with what we're saying. Our kids see this. Something as silly as vegetables, whether you eat it or not, when you make your kids, something as silly as that, what that shows the kid, though, is that what you say doesn't exactly line up with what you actually believe. And so when you do have that conversation about God and what he has done, the kids got in the back of their mind, yeah, but do you actually believe that? Or is this this one of those things that parents have to say, right? Our actions need to line up with everything that we are preaching. Our love for God should be so great that it is the most prominent thing within our lives. And it's just pouring out through actions, through our behavior, and our culture is going to reflect that, that we form in our family. In Psalm 78, it says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from, our chi- from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. This is saying, the psalmist is saying that we can talk to our kids about anything 
the good and the bad. We can, we can teach them to be able to be successful in this life and in this world and at the same time say it's because of God's glory that this is even possible. We can talk about all things and point our kids to Jesus. This is possible, and it is the way we should model our family culture at home. We must disciple our kids in a correct manner. And so when, when, our, uh, when do we teach this, right? When do we do these things? This is what we must do, model the love of God. And yet, when, when does this actually happen? And so this is the more practical section, right? And I know everyone's like, yes, how do I then disciple my kids successfully? What do I do? Give me, you know, time of the day and a 12-step program to do this, right? That's what we want. I, I know because that's what I want. And I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you the things that Moses gives us as guidelines, right? Guidelines for establishing a culture within our families. It's not going to exactly work for everyone's family, though I am going to use some examples from uh, my family, okay? I'm not saying you have to do that or do it the same way. Um, it's just an example for, that works for our culture that we've established. And so uh, these things, though, these rhythms need to be practiced regardless, right, to establish our cultures. And so we see in Deuteronomy that Moses says that we must have ordinary, regular rhythms in our life. Ordinary things that happen every single day. We must take those things and actually do something with it. All right, so the example I'm going to give you is bedtime for, for the summer's household, okay? Now, bedtime is something that happens for everybody, right? You go to sleep sometime. So this is an ordinary, regular rhythm. This is not special to Christians or to us or anything else. This happens. So we have taken bedtime and we've made it into a routine where there are things that we do. You get ready, you brush your teeth, and then we gather on the couch and we read the Bible together as a family. And we will do like a memory verse. And then we finish that. And then the kids will then go to their rooms. The boys go to their room, and uh, my daughter goes to her room, and they get books uh, to read, just any, any book, right, about anything. And then usually Nicole and I will split up and go to one room or the other, and we will read the book with them, and then we will pray with them, and then we will turn off the light, say, I love you, good night, and close the door, right? This is our routine. It's the same every single night. It's an ordinary, regular rhythm that we have established because bedtime is going to happen. And so we're going to be intentional with it. And that's our second thing, that you have to be intentional with the times that you have. Your ordinary, regular rhythms must be intentional. And so that one specifically, we have a lot invested in scripture and in prayer, right? Um, I mean, you could, you could make ordinary rhythms of of really anything. Uh, another example that's very common in our culture is just praying before meals, right? But do we actually pray before our meals? Or are we just reciting, you know, thank you for this food, amen, right? Or are we actually investing in that time intentionally saying, I'm going to teach my kids to be grateful for the blessings that we have, right? There, there's ways that we can take ordinary rhythms and be very intentional with these things. 
and it produces fruit. It works. It works so well. Just last night, uh, my three-year-old and my six-year-old were able to quote by themselves, all on their own, uh, Romans 3.23. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God, right? They were able to quote that by themselves just because we do it at bedtime. They look forward to these times that we're investing in them because of the relationship that we have with them. And in that relationship, we can pour into them what is most important to us, and that has to be Jesus. They have to know that this is important. And so in these ordinary rhythms, we are intentionally teaching our kids that we love God. Another example of this that's more uh, of a very specific time was Christmas, right? So Christmas was coming up, and this was our first Christmas with the kids, right? Uh, And so, you know, we started a few weeks before reading Christmas stories um, before bed as part of our reading time that we have regularly incorporated. And so we were reading these things, and we started asking the question, what's Christmas about? And so immediately, you know, my six-year-old was like, uh, presents. <laughs> and so we were like, well, presents happen, yes, but that's not why we have it. And so we would then explain the gospel, right, and say that's why we have Christmas. And then the next day, we would read another book. Well, why do we have Christmas? Presents. Well, actually, and then <laughs> explain the gospel, right? By the time Christmas arrived, That morning, we read the Christmas story, and we prayed together as a family, and uh, I asked, why do we have Christmas? And every single one of my kids, my six, three, and two-year-old, all said, because of Jesus. They may not know exactly what that all really means, but they know that our family has Christmas because of Jesus. We made a regular rhythm, and we're intentional with that time and it taught our kids something that they will remember. Number three, we must have diligent effort. This means that those regular rhythms that you're being intentional with, don't give up. Don't stop. I know there's times where you're just tired and you don't want to do the bedtime routine. You're just tired and you don't want to do whatever you've established as a family. Or you're thinking, this doesn't really work. We're not seeing anything come from this. My kid is still behaving a certain way, or my kid is still just not even understanding what I'm trying to tell them. And it's been months of this. It's been years of this. That's okay. Be diligent. Be faithful. It will come. And even if it doesn't come in a way that you expect, even if, because this is the honest truth too, that as much as we hope that our kids all love and serve the Lord, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen all the time. And that is an honest truth. It's not a truth that we really want to face as parents. And yet, it is. It it is a truth. We are still called to be diligent and to love our children and show them the mercy and love and grace of God. Even in the midst of correction and discipline, like I said, those things don't go away. 
but we are still able to be intentional in the regular rhythms of our everyday life, whether your kids are still at home or they're not. And we are faithfully pointing them to Jesus. Because our love for him is overflowing. It is pouring out of us and it cannot be contained. That's what this is about. Because the, the prayer is, the hope is, and, and God says that good things do come to his people. And we, we just pray and hope that that overflow will start filling their cup up to a point where they can't help but overflow his love. And whether or not my, my kids follow God throughout their life, as far as I know, I know that till the day I die, I will continue to pray that and hope it, whether or not I see it. And so we must be diligent. And through all these things, having regular, ordinary rhythms, intentional time that we're investing in our kids, and being diligent in this time, we are going to see that gracious moments start to occur. What I mean by this is that we are going to find times when it is going to be such a perfect opportunity to share the gospel with our children. They are going to ask questions they are going to wonder, why do we do this? Why is our family so focused on these things? Why do we go to church on Sundays? These are times where grace can be shown to our kids. It says in Joshua 4, 6 through 7, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Stones that were set in a special place by the Israelites when they were saved out of Egypt. And they're saying, when our kids actually ask, why are these stones special to you? They're just stones. Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be the people of Israel memorial forever for those times that we're saved out of Israel, for those times that God has saved us again and again and again. We have set up these memorials that's what the Israelites did. These stacks of stones all over so that then when the future generations asked, why are these here and why do you honor them? They can say, because God has saved us. When your kids ask you, why do we pray before we go to sleep? Why do we pray before we eat dinner? Why do we read the Bible? Why do you talk to us about church and about God all the time? You can say it's because he saved us. And that means something to us. And our kids will recognize this and it will mean something to them. We do all these other things, these regular rhythms, this family discipleship in the ordinary because we want those moments. This is obviously very special to me, right? 
with my kids. And parents, you understand this, and those who are aunts and uncles, those who want to have kids, those who have investment in families, this is such a vital part of our lives that we cannot, we cannot ignore how important these things are. The time that you spend with your children or the children of others, that is a time that you can make ordinary and it can be a rhythm, it can be diligent, it can be intentional and you can point them to Jesus. And so that really comes into our next uh, section. Who, who's doing this? Who's teaching family discipleship? Obviously parents, like we are the primary disciple makers of our kids. It is, the, the responsibility is on us. We have to do this. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We have a responsibility, a a primary mission that God has given us to disciple our children because we have the loudest influence. Train up your child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In Proverbs 22, 6, we look at this sometimes and we want to think of it in terms of, yes, if, if we raise them in a Christian home, then they'll be saved. But what it's actually speaking about is that the culture that we establish in our homes is going to carry with our child through the rest of their life. Whether they follow God or not, but yet if they are in a culture that saturates them in the love of God, then their heart is already going to be primed for the Holy Spirit. And that's the best we can do because we don't save our kids. We can't. Only God saves them. And so the best that we can do, though, is prime them so that they are ready, that they understand. Because, yes, we want them to know God But that's not on us to do, but we can make sure that they know about him to the point that when the Holy Spirit does convict them and and does something special in their hearts, that they're saying, I know this. This is what my parents have. I want that. We want this to be what we do as parents because we have been given the role to preach and practice the glory of God in the lives of our kids. But then number two, it's not just parents. The church comes alongside parents as we disciple our kids and as we have family discipleship. And a big part of that is, like I mentioned at the beginning, the culture that we have as Storehouse, the culture that we have as the local church, as a family, where I know that I could call Izzy up and he will come and he will help me with my kids if I need it. Right? That culture where I can call a friend, I can call a brother, sister here and say, I need help, and y'all will be there. We have a culture, a family culture that we have established here at Storehouse that helps us disciple our children, or even if it's not a direct, direct interaction with the kids, that we're able to just have friends that we can say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go from here. And we we have brothers and sisters that help us and support us and love us and remind us of the gospel. The church comes alongside and the church provides resources and avenues for family discipleship to take place. I mean, right now we've got kids going up there, right? 
two of my kids, actually all my kids are up there right now. And LC has done an amazing job with our kids' ministry. Like, y'all should buy her presents, lots of presents. She has done an amazing job where she invests herself into family discipleship for kids that aren't her own, and yet she loves them dearly. There are resources that she has made over, especially, you know, the pandemic on our website for family discipleship that goes along with, yes, what we've been preaching, but just how to practice this in the everyday. These resources are available. They've been provided because this is important, and the church must value it. And we're not the only ones. There's resources all over the place for Christian families to have family discipleship be a regular thing in their homes. Take advantage of it. If you have questions, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to establish a regular rhythm you know, at bedtime, ask someone. We are in this together. Do not feel alone, parents. We are in this together. The church comes alongside And it comes alongside discipling the kids, but then it's discipling each other as well. Because once again, remember, before we can have a culture of family discipleship in our homes, you must know God. And it is through the relationships we have in the church that we are able to encourage and grow and disciple each other so that we can do exactly this in our homes. That time that you spend at MC in your small groups, the ramifications from that hour, two hours, three hours is going to reverberate through your entire week, through your entire life. The church plays a vital role. And so, yes, parents, we are the primary disciple makers, but every single person in this room and listening right now, you all play a very important role. And speaking for the parents, we need you. We must do this together. Family discipleship matters because culture matters. And I'm going to leave you guys with this. In Judges 2, we see that Joshua, at the end of his life, he dies, right? Joshua, the son of Nun, servant of God. This is in Judges 2. He dies at the age of uh, 110 years, and they buried him with the, within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timotheris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, Right? His whole generation, Joshua's generation, only a generation removed from Moses. And there arose another generation, two generations removed from Moses, after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Only two generations, and they did not know God because they did not establish culture within their families that raised their kids and pointed them to God. Culture matters 
We have to be intentional because, let's be real, we can have the greatest intentions, the biggest vision for our kids and where we want them to go, but if we don't put in the work now, if we don't establish culture now, then it's for nothing. Let's not be those who spend our whole lives hoping and wishing without acting in the grace of God to establish these cultures within our families so that family discipleship may be possible. And this has to once again, I'm going to keep hammering this, this has to be important to us. We see in Joshua's case that the generation didn't know God. So even if we're thinking of, in terms of, okay, we're, we're Moses' generation, right? That's saying that all of our grandkids have no idea who Jesus is. Not a single one of them. Two generations, that's all it takes to forget who God is. This has to break your heart. You have to understand that this is important for us. Our kids need to know the grace that God has poured upon us because we desperately want them to know him. We want our grandkids to know them. We want as many to know God as possible because he is amazing. And to do this, you must love God yourself. And then you must overflow with his love and his grace. And you must intentionally and diligently establish family, discipleship, and culture within your home. That's the only way that we're able to share the love of Christ with our children. So my prayer for my own home, my prayer for all of your homes, is that your homes will be a place that is saturated, drenched in the love of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the fact that you loved us to the point that you saved us, to the point where you entered into human history, you died on the cross as Jesus, and you were raised from the dead so that our sins were paid for, so that we can have a relationship with you, eternal relationship with you that does not end with death, that we can have such a glorious relationship. God, thank you so much for that. And thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to share that with our children. Holy Spirit, I ask humbly that you grant us all the ability, the strength, the power, the supernatural power that you grant your people to be able to establish family rhythms and culture within all of our homes so that our children will know you. Let us not be selfish and keep this gift from our kids just because it's convenient or because we're tired. Let it be something that just overflows out of our hearts. I want to be the man and the father that points my kids to you. Nothing else. Father, help me to do this. 
Help us as a church, as storehouse community church, to come alongside each other so that this can become a reality in all of our lives. So that those days where it just sucks, where it's difficult, where we don't know what to do, that we know we have a body around us that is there to support and that we actually reach out. We, we take part in this family that you have given us. God, you have given us so much to make this possible. Holy Spirit, convict us to the point where we actually do something about it. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. In your holy name, amen.